You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. I hope you're having a terrific week. We have a fantastic show for you today. I brought together another fantastic team of fundraising consultants, and this time we're going to talk about parish capital campaigns. It's going to be a fun conversation. But first, today I bring you a new segment that we're calling Catholic News That's Changing Our World. The month of August marked the one-year anniversary of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report. According to the Sharon Herald, compensation funds set up to settle claims filed by victims of abuse by priests have paid out more than $55 million to more than 300 victims across the state of Pennsylvania. This has all happened in the years since the landmark Grand Jury Report examined the church's role in covering up for predator priests, according to the information released by the church and the law firm overseeing the compensation funds for most dioceses in Pennsylvania. According to the Catholic News Service, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione called for Christians to be the, quote, moral conscience of society during a mass marking the end of a novena against an upcoming abortion bill. From August 3rd to 11th, California dioceses and archdioceses prayed a novena for the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe in efforts to defeat a measure requiring college and university health centers to stock medical abortion pills. According to the Sports Business Journal, Anthony Federico was fired from ESPN for writing a headline that many viewed as a racist Asian slur. Federico's life has taken an abrupt turn in the ensuing seven years. In June, he was ordained a priest to the Archdiocese of Hartford and was assigned to a parish not far from ESPN headquarters. The new priest said, quote, I feel great healing. I don't have any ill will toward anyone in that time of my life. Catholic News Service reports that 15 bishops and 100 priests gathered with over 100 lay Catholics and women religious to discuss religion in California's Napa Valley. The Napa Institute hosted its ninth annual summer conference focusing on the theme of authentic reform and the current state of the church. During the conference, Philadelphia Archbishop Charles Chaput was part of a panel that synthesized discussions at the USCCB's Spring Assembly. And last, the Baltimore Magazine reports that something's brewing inside the former St. Michael's Church in Baltimore's Fells Point. This fall, Ministry of Brewing will open to the public inside the 19th century landmark. The church was closed in 2011 and was abandoned until partners bought it in 2017. That's the same year the AP reported that since 2011, at least 10 breweries opened inside former churches, and four more are slated to open this year. Well, that's the Catholic news that is changing our world. Let me know if you found this segment helpful. Now, let's get to work. Today, our show focuses on parish capital campaigns, how to manage one, how to get ready for one, what is the pastor's role, and most importantly, how to be successful. Today, I have invited back some of Changing Our World's expert consultants, Mr. Tom Farrell and Mrs. Anna Vaez, who joined us a couple of weeks ago on our segment on diocesan capital campaigns. And today, we're joined by Yasmeen Hicks, who we featured earlier in the summer. All these wonderful professionals bring tremendous parish campaign experience. This discussion was pre-recorded in June when our staff was together for our retreat in New York. And now, without further ado, here's our conversation on parish capital campaigns. 
Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you all with us. I'm joined today by Yasmin Hicks, who's a director for Changing Our World. And I'm also joined by Anna Vallez, who's a senior director for Changing Our World, and with Tom Farrell, who's a senior managing director of Changing Our World. And I'm a, a managing director for Changing Our World, so I think we have all the ranks represented here today. <laughs> Yasmin Hicks, uh, you're a director for Changing Our World. Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, sure. So I've been with Changing Our World for about three years now. I'm starting as an intern, actually, um, and becoming more of a sponge for the company, learning about all of our different industries, avenues, clients. Um, I then became an associate director and more recently a director. But in my time here at Changing Our World, I've had the great pleasure and honor to work with so many of our faith-based clients that are close to a lot of our hearts. So I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast today. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Anna, you've been on our podcast before, but just remind our folks about all your wonderful experiences as a senior director in our firm. Yes, I've had the pleasure of working across the country, um, California, St. Louis, Dallas, and now Green Bay. And uh, I live in Carlsbad, California. I think I've been with the company almost seven years. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just had some great experiences. And I think... Um, just working with different communities, different like Vietnamese communities in Dallas, the Latino communities in Los Angeles and Northern California, um, and even Latino communities in St. Louis and Green Bay has been really great for me to be able to share, I think, my enthusiasm, not just for the work, but also I am Catholic and I think I believe in Catholic education as well. And just being able to share that love with others, I think, has been great for me. Beautiful. Excellent. Thanks, Santa. Tom Farrell, you're a Senior Managing Director with Changing Our World. Tell us a little bit about your, your background. Sure, Jim. You, you and I have known each other over 20 years. We have. <laughs> we worked for competing consulting firms, and uh, I used to run into Jim in the vestibule of many different rectories across the country. <laughs> it's true. And uh, So I've, I've been at this 35 years in Catholic philanthropy, mostly with parishes and dioceses and some other institutions. Uh, I joined uh, Changing Our World in, at the end of 2010. I had my own firm for 10 years, Trinity Consultants, that did a lot of Catholic parish work nationally. Uh, so I've been with Changing Our World now going on nine years. I spent a lot of time in the parishes and with the diocese, so my, my work really hasn't changed. I'm doing the same thing that I love and, and enjoy, and a lot of travel involved because we're working in many different areas from uh, just about every time zone, it seems like, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of challenges out there today that we're, we're trying to you know fix and help. Uh, we're all Catholic. We love the church, and we want to see it move forward. Excellent, Tom. And, and it is, by the way, great to be on the same team with you. <laughs> um, we're going to have a conversation today about uh, parish campaigns, uh, some of the different dynamics of conducting a feasibility study, conducting a parish campaign. And, uh, and I think this podcast is for anybody who's really thinking about doing a campaign and what goes into that. And, you know, as you uh, as you consider all the different ramifications and uh, ideas that go into that, some of the planning. Uh, hopefully, you'll get a little bit out of this this conversation. I've assembled here a, a panel of experts to talk about uh, campaigns, and we're excited to kind of get your feedback on all of this. So let's start with the very beginning process of what should a parish be thinking about now if they're contemplating uh, a future capital campaign? Anybody want to start? 
Um, sure, I guess I'll dive right in, but I think, you know, the needs, making sure that you have a pretty nice targeted list. One of the major concerns that, you know, supporters have, parishioners, when we do go to make the ask is, okay, what am I supporting? What are the needs for the campaign? So if you're thinking about a campaign, well, what do you need the funds for? It's definitely something to keep top of mind as you prepare for that sort of an engagement. Excellent. Anything you'd add to that, Anna? Yeah, I think timing is crucial. So you wouldn't want to start anything if you know that you've got a big carnival or you've got a big uh, event coming up that's going to require lots of time and effort from potential committee members and the pastor. Or, for example, say the pastor has a a vacation planned uh, where he's going to be gone for two or three weeks. So timing is everything. You want to make sure that you've looked at the calendar and you've determined, okay, this is the best time to do this. And if a parish is going to do a a major building program, certainly it's important to have architectural plans. Mm -hmm. There's a whole process they have to go through with the diocese to gain permission. Uh, You know, they provide some oversight and advice along the way. And to continue to communicate to parishioners, you know, what the process is going to be and the expectation and some of the things related to the project and the timeline. I've found that uh, visuals are so important, and sometimes a campaign can be held up exactly as you, as you say, on having an architectural plan, having a floor plan. So pieces in place, surveys, architectural, engineering, whatever they are, so that you can really answer those questions uh, when we move into the feasibility study, right? Absolutely. So does anybody want to give our listeners a description of what is a feasibility study? Because I've gone to parishes before, talked about it, and they'd say, well, we've already done a feasibility study. And I said, well, it's actually a different kind of feasibility study than you may be used to. You know, there's several components to a feasibility study. There's personal interviews with those that represent the strongest contributors to the parish. There's generally a parish-wide survey, uh, which can be done in pew and online so that everyone has an opportunity to lend a voice to the project. Essentially, what we're trying to flush out is a reaction to the case and how to present the case during the campaign so it resonates well, to identify sources of major support. Are there folks there willing to make leadership and major gifts uh, towards the success of the campaign? Uh, And then also... uh, you know, leadership uh, to, you know, help form a committee that would work closely with the pastor on the project and get a sense of the attitude of the, of the parishioners about what's going on. Do they feel like they're being served and are they in a happy state? Yeah, exactly. Are they going to be receptive to the project, you know? How about you, Anna? Any, any surprises that you've seen or anybody that, you know, sometimes when you do these studies, it's like, whoa, I had no idea the parish was going to be that excited about the campaign. Or sometimes the opposite happens. Well, maybe they're not ready to be asked, asked for money yet. Well, I think I'd like to add what Tom just said. Yeah. We, we also want to know any serious concerns that folks may have, just so that if you do need to rework the case statement, you know, that at least you know what you need to address or you, conversations you need to have before you actually begin so that everybody feels like their concerns, their questions have been validated. So that's, that's also, I think, really important. I think, too, a part of a feasibility study, and very, very important in the initial phase of the campaign, the data. Um, so during um, that time, you know, we sure. take a close look at, you know, addresses, seeing who's active, who's inactive, and really getting a sense of the true size of a parish. So very, very important. Yeah, doing some kind of a parish census or address update, clean up that data absolutely. is absolutely essential. Because when we get into the nuts and bolts of the campaign, if we don't have good addresses or good phone numbers, or even doing a, you know, collecting email addresses before you begin sure. a campaign for communications can be so critical. Absolutely. So when you guys think about starting a parish campaign, what is the most important thing to you? What do you think about first? I would say I first think about establishing a great relationship with the parish leadership. I mean, 
having the pastor on board, having even the secretary, someone who's so vital to, you know, the day-to-day of the parish is super, super important. So then those first few weeks, really, that's a very big focus of mine, just to establish a nice relationship as someone who is going to be very supportive of the projects, just making sure that we're all on the same page is very, very important. And I think Jasmine has really touched on something really key here, and that's the trust element. Absolutely. And I think from day one, from the first moment, you're thinking of, okay, establishing great relationships, because great relationships really work towards that trust element. And I think if they can trust you, it is so much easier, not just to do a study, but the campaign as well. So, um, and you know, Yasmin, I can think... Uh, looking back to most of the campaigns that I've had, that a lot of those parish secretaries, business <laughs> managers, have become really good friends. Yeah, you know that's that that's great? kind of the icing on the cake. And um, Tom would be probably very happy to hear that I got a phone call from someone in Redlands yes, wow. yesterday um, because she has my cell phone number, <laughs> she's got my email, my personal email, so she can reach out to me at any time and ask about how we're doing, and more importantly, I can answer questions about maybe an additional campaign that they're looking to do very soon. Um, some of the things that I would you know, want to have a comfort level is related to how engaged the pastor is going to be. Is Father or Monsignor going to be out there leading the way, um, asking for gifts, uh, speaking at receptions, things of that nature? And then also trying to get a sense of what type of parish it is, if it's a very social parish, if it's active, and how they go about doing things and how they speak to one another. Absolutely. So along the same lines, what do you think is the most important thing to a pastor? You know, when you uh, pastors that are new to campaigns, ones that have not done one before, what do you think some of their concerns have been, or what, what are some of the concerns that you've hear, heard them voice? I would say, you know, uh, the, the workload that's involved in running a big capital campaign. Sure. Uh, a lot of parishes we see today only have one priest and enormous responsibility. Yeah. They work all week. They certainly work weekends. Yeah. So, you know, fitting the campaign into their schedule with the other responsibilities that they have, uh, I think, is, is key. And then as a consultant, providing as much support as possible, uh, making the job easy for the pastor along the way with with materials, even, you know, signing signing letters or reviewing scripts and things like that, and and, and being conscious of the fact that the, the priest is busy um, and, you know, not just kind of showing up at the last second there and saying, here, Father, this is for you. Right. You know, you try to get standing meetings with the pastor and other people that are involved in the campaign, too so that it stays organized and people feel comfortable. Yeah, I, I've found pastors, like anybody, they don't, want, they don't need surprises, right? So, you know, part of our approach is always a, a plan, an outline, and letting them know what's coming down the pike and the calendar and everything out so that they feel comfortable, I think, in their role. What were you going to say, Anna? No, I was going to say um, that I think the other thing that's really important as directors of a campaign is our demeanor. You know, how we approach the projects, how we approach the study and the campaigns, and that if we're upbeat and enthusiastic, you know, that's contagious, you know, and I think the pastors, given what Tom just said, that they're so busy, weekends, weeks, you know, I think that they need that extra oomph before they start a campaign, and if they see that in you, it's a little bit easier for them to kind of feel it too. Sure. I would also add, um, you know, a concern that I've heard 
priests want to be priestly, and when you start speaking about finances, especially those of you know their parishioners, that's a big concern. They don't want to step on any toes or you know mix their messaging. So just keeping that in mind, that it can be uncomfortable at times, and you know solicitation training is very important in coaching them on how to make that ask and mm-hmm. you know how to structure it and not step on toes. I think is very very important to address that concern that a lot of priests that I've worked with have had. So you know you bring up a great point, Yasmin. Um, you know helping a pastor be comfortable making the ask. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that, that you guys have done to, to help him be comfortable in that role? Oh, we've done a lot of role-playing with pastors. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we'll make sure the pastor is with somebody like one of the chair people from the campaign, mm-hmm. you know, that could, uh, you know, support the pastor, p- present the need or even make the ask or vice versa, have the pastor make, make the, uh, the request or, you know, present the need. Um, I think those are some things that are helpful and practice, practice, practice. Sure. And uh, just assuring the the pastor that, you know, once he gets that first gift and we try to set him up, tee him up uh, on that first uh, solicitation, that it goes well and then he gains confidence from that and realizes this isn't so bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I, I would also say just the need, you know, as Tom mentioned, just mm-hmm. focusing. It's about the parish. It's not like you're asking for a mortgage payment or a car payment, but really just about the needs of the parish and ensuring that it's there for generations to come. So really, really focusing on the needs and speaking about that as part of that role play, you know, breaking it down and for what it personally means for the pastor, but the parish overall is a very important exercise as part of that. Absolutely. You know, and you bring up another good point, Yasmin. So, you know, we're the beneficiaries of previous parishioners' generation, of their generosity, right? And so uh, reminding the pastor of that, reminding the parishioners of that, and that, you know, certainly we're not asking for ourselves, right. I think is the very bottom line, and that he is asking, you know, most pastors might be, not most pastors, but a lot of pastors may not be there for more than three to six years, right? Sure. And so after six years, they've moved on to the next place. So he's not asking for himself. He's asking for the future of the parish. And so in that way, it's a real sacrifice on his part. It's for the betterment of his community as a leader. And I think it's always impressive to me when a pastor is willing to take on a campaign like that. He has the foresight and the vision, and he knows he's not personally going to benefit from this, but he knows he loves his community so much he wants them to flourish. I wanted to say one more thing, because I think what's really important for me is the cultural element. Hmm. So I think knowing ahead of time, okay, is this pastor and community Hispanic? Are they Latino? Um, I I also, are are they Filipino? Are they from Colombia? You know, because I think our approach might be a little bit different depending on where they come from, how they see fundraising, how they see what they know as capital campaigns or raising money for their parish. So I think we, it's really important to really research where a parish is from, where their, how their culture is, you know, around fundraising, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, you, you've, you've seen one parish, you've seen one parish. They all have their own dynamics, their yeah. own spirit and charism. Some are order priests, some are diocesan mm-hmm. priests, and sometimes that can change the dynamic, yeah. you know, sure, for exactly. where their focus is, you know. Exactly. So another question might be, what, how have the dynamics of parish campaigns changed over the years? Anna, Tom, you guys have been doing this, you know, a few years, <laughs> myself included. What, what do you guys, what do you well, guys think? I know when I first started an awful long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say how many years, Tom. That's okay. <laughs> we, we, did, we didn't conduct planning. We got right into the campaign. Yeah. There were larger numbers of active contributors mm-hmm. within the total registry. Yeah. That was one thing. 
I think donors today ask more questions mm -hmm. about how their money is going to be spent to them. Yeah. They want to be generous, but it's also an investment. Um, so there's an awful lot of <coughs> communication, you know, from within the study and during the campaign that that has to take place uh, more than I remember in the past. Uh, so there's a lot of accountability. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the parish staff, uh, the people that work in the parish, they're pretty busy, too. So it seems like there's more on us now to get things done to, you know, to support them, but, you know, not give them additional work and, and make mm -hmm. sure that our responsibilities are taken care of. Yeah. How about you, Anna? I was thinking what Tom was saying that, yes, one of the questions that I always get towards the end of a feasibility study is, okay, from the parish secretaries and business managers, okay, tell me, what's going to be required of my time? You know, how, what are we looking at in terms of weekly hours? You know, can you kind of frame that out over the next 9 to 12 months? So, yeah, that's one thing that I've noticed is they want to know exactly how much time is going to be required. Yeah. So, And I think also just from when I started doing these a couple of years ago was just the availability of parishioners. You know, we have most families are two dual income earners, dual professionals now. Kids are extremely busy, you know, young families especially. It's tough to get them engaged in a campaign just because of the time that's involved. So I think having a large campaign committee is really important so that you can spread out the work and that maybe everybody comes who comes to that committee just takes one piece of it because right. there are a lot of roles to play. And, yeah, you, know, you have a parish with 1,200, 1,500 families. You have a lot of people you want to reach out to, especially maybe in that advanced gift phase. So maybe that dovetails us a little bit into what... What do we look for when we're trying to recruit a campaign leadership committee? And let's start with what's their function. Anybody want to take that one? The function of a campaign leadership committee. Yasmin? Yeah, sure. I would say the function of a campaign leadership committee is to support the fundraising activities, really. And by that, you know, if we're going to host a reception or an NPU, being there to, you know, be the hand on deck, um, you know, serving as an advocate, very public advocate for the campaign during those receptions, during the NPUs, um, making the asks along with the pastors. That's a very big responsibility, um, one that, you know, does require training in some ways. But I would say really the role of the CLC, as we like to call it, the Campaign Leadership Committee, is to support the pastor to support the activities and help to ensure that it really is a home run in the end. I always think of the two E's, energy and enthusiasm. Yes. You know, as long as they're willing to share an energy and enthusiasm with others, I think, and they believe in that uh, project, right? I think those are key points to them doing a great job. And you're right, they have to be educated on that project too. So by the first step, making sure they understand what the case exactly. for support is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, good committee members, you know, they tend to be good regular contributors to begin with, mm -hmm. so they're accustomed to supporting the parish. Uh, you know, they're usually going to be asking others to consider a gift, so you want to secure a nice gift from them before they go out uh, and ask people to do what they've already done. So I think that that's important when it comes to fundraising. Um, you know, so, some of the other things are, are related to are they well-known, are they recognized, is there a measure of trust that people have in those individuals? That's one of the questions that we have in the planning study. We, we ask parishioners to provide us names of people they'd like to see or they would assume would be involved in a campaign like this. So that helps us you know, build up that base uh, for a good 
working committee. But also, too, when, you know, assembling a committee, I think it's important to consider a nice mix of parishioners. So those like Tom that have said that have been at the parish for a long time, but also new parishioners who are very interested in getting involved and becoming a part of the culture, Hmm. you know, having a nice mix of older, younger, those that are more engaged, less engaged, but having a nice mix that really represent what the parish is like, um, I think is very important when assembling that committee. Boy, that is an excellent point. People from uh, seniors, uh, young families, long-time parishioners, even some new families sometimes. It's a nice way of engaging them, you know? And and that's really crucial, like, for feasibility studies is to make sure also that if you're able to, to bring in that spread. The other day I interviewed a 102-year-old man from the Oshkosh community, um, and I also interviewed somebody that was new to the parish, like a, a year into this, who are both very supportive of their project that they have. Tremendous. So does anybody have any great campaign success stories that they want to share? I know you all do. Anybody, anything come to mind? Any, any one particular project or person or event? Um, I think of a, a, a parish where as soon as I got there, it felt like a throwback parish, if you will. And obviously, I haven't been in the industry as long as my colleagues here. Um, but in working with uh, parishes, I think immediately to have felt that sense of welcoming, that sense of belonging there, and that they were just really jazzed to start a campaign. Um, So for this parish in particular, um, they were attempting to raise $3.5 million for a parish center um, and immediately having uh, about $1.3 million in secured gifts verbally, um, you know, that gave us a lot of, uh, I don't know, good feelings about the campaign and just going into it. So I think it's a success. Um, We're actually almost there, almost across the goal at about 96%. Um, But to walk away there, to feel good about it, um, to serve as, you know, a great beacon of hope and light for this diocese that is thinking of launching additional parish campaigns and a larger diocesan campaign. Um, I think working there has been a great personal success. Then I think on the other end of the spectrum as well, um, I've worked with two sister parishes upstate in New York, um, both parishes in very um, economically challenged areas. And collectively, they wanted to raise about $600,000, you know, to raise even a quarter of that would have been just daunting. And so a great success winning over the pastor, really, and working with my team there and making sure that, uh, you know, that relationship was established first with the parish, with the leadership, um, and then really just putting our heads together to raise the funds. Um, at the end of the day, we winded up going over goal. And I know that it's certainly because of that campaign leadership committee of, you mm-hmm. know, connecting with the pastor, of getting to know the area, really, and showing them that I know I'm only here for, you know, a few months, but I really want to immerse myself as part of your community. And, Yes, the funds must be raised, but if we can bring the community closer together, your two sister parishes that have experienced closures and consolidations over the years, that's a huge home run. And walking away from there, I still have connections to the parish secretaries, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I still think about them all the time, and likewise, I hope to think. Um, So that was just a huge personal success, raising the funds, making that connection, and again, serving as a beacon for that larger diocesan campaign upstate, so... That's tremendous, Yasmin. And I think what's crucial about what Yasmin just said was the immersion. Yes. You know, the Mm. blending in is so crucial. And I'm thinking about a parish in Northern California that we worked with. Uh, We helped them get to goal, close to goal. Um, And then a year or two later, they call us back and ask us to come back because construction costs have risen and they now need us, need to raise, help them raise another one or two million dollars. And it's really great because you can do two campaigns with one parish, get them to where they need to be. And then the icing on the cake, I think, is actually going back, you know, being invited back to actually 
see the finished product and to be a part of the blessing of the building. In this particular case, it was a new gymnasium, a new parish hall, but it was also a new center for this little tiny town that had no community center. So this served as not just a multi-purpose facility for the parish, the school, but also for the town. So just being able to be there for the blessing and the final product coming in, you know, it was just wonderful. Tremendous. Yeah. So for me, Jim, there's been hundreds. So I'm sure. <laughs> so How much time do we have? It's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to pick one, but there's been many, and they've been all over the country. But I'll say first that you know a successful capital campaign breathes life into the parish, mm. creates a sense of accomplishment and pride, makes people feel good that they've come together to accomplish you know something significant. One parish example I would use uh, was a number of years ago, it was a parish on a university campus. And you know how people are always saying, we need to see young people in church. Well, the seven o'clock evening mass on Sunday was for the students. So we had a phase focusing on the students and the students supported the campaign. It was, it was not a huge campaign. We raised about $600,000 for restoration and renovation for their chapel. Uh, and their student center, but it was a great accomplishment, I think, for everybody involved. I think for me, I, I think of one of my very first campaigns in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, St. Isidore's, and uh, it's probably actually my first campaign as a consultant, and coming back years later and seeing that parish fully mm -hmm. constructed. Knowing how challenging that campaign was at the start, you know, just back then, uh, just raising a million dollars for a parish was a lot of money, you know. Now I'm really dating myself, no. But <laughs> but, um, but I remember we, we did phonathons and we kept going back and we kept going back. And then to see this beautiful parish, yeah, it's more than the money, you know. I mean, uh, it's funny when you walk in as a consultant or as a fundraiser, you know, director of development, a lot of times people just see, oh, yeah, there's the money guy, right? But it really has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with mission and getting people excited about the mission of the church, the mission uh, of the gospel. And then to see that materialized in front of you in, in the form of a, of a new church building, it's just, it's, yeah. it's moving. So when we think about different parishes, they come in all different shapes and sizes, right? How would a parish campaign differ depending upon the size or the size of the community? You know, sometimes you'll have a small community of 500 uh, parishioners. Sometimes you'll have a community as large as 3,000 or more families. How would you change your approach? How would you change that plan? I think that's where the, the planning study helps a lot in determining, you know, the process. If it's a small parish, it could be an affluent parish, mm -hmm. in which case you're doing a lot of personal interviews and visits and gift requests. If it's a large parish, it may take a good number of events and longer time. And you get into the general phase, <coughs> there might be several weekends for Commitment Sunday, more direct mail, more follow-up. You know, we look at the data closely during the study uh, phase to determine, you know, how long is it going to take? Is it mm -hmm. going to be a four-month stretch, six months, eight months? You know, it, it varies. And, you know, just because a parish is small doesn't mean it's going to take a short period of time. Right. Because completing those visits, those personal visits, you know, scheduling them and then, you know, securing the gift and doing mm -hmm. the follow-up goes along with that. Eats into the, the time that you, you're trying to, you know, complete, what, you know, get to the goal. Sure. 
I would say too, um, you know, just behind the scenes as consultant, we have to scrub that data as we were speaking about earlier, making sure that it's clean and good to go. Mm -hmm. So with the larger parish is making more time in the beginning phases for planning. Um, and if, you know, working with a larger parish that has a lot of different views at play mm -hmm. and a lot of concerns that were vo voiced during the feasibility study, I think taking more time to go over the case for support, to go over the supporting materials, you know, perhaps documents that would go along with the larger packet, just more time at times for larger parishes that have a lot of voice and a lot of opinions. Definitely a way that the dynamics change just the time allocations, as Tom mentioned. Part of the uh, structure of a campaign is the leadership and advance gift phase that they call it sometimes, people know it as the quiet phase of the campaign. Let's talk about that just for a moment. I mean, sometimes that can really expand your timeline a little bit, depending upon how many parishioners are in that phase, how long it's going to take to reach out to all those folks and have those one-on-one -on -one solicitations or those small group receptions. What is the importance of that phase of the campaign? Well, we all hear that formula that 20% of the people give 80% of the, the support. You know, sometimes it's 30% given 60%, and that's where the focus is in those initial phases. And like we said earlier, it takes time to set that up and, and get to the folks and make get the ass done. And with people's schedules, as we were talking about, husbands and wives both working, you know, to support a household, um, what we're trying to accomplish is get half the goal, essentially, you know, from a handful of parishioners to lay the foundation in that silent or quiet phase before going out to uh, the rest of the registration to, you know, seek their support, to give them a sense that there's a foundation, that there is just a matter of time before we get to the goal. There's a level of confidence that this is going to happen. Uh, people are wondering if, you know, those that are the leaders, did they support this to the best of their ability? Um, and so when they look at that and they see the momentum, they, they want to be a part of it yeah. and they want to support the campaign uh, and, and not be left out. So in a parish campaign, how do you get parishioners to take ownership of that campaign? You know, that sometimes uh, it could feel, um, you know, if, if the pastor has done a lot of the planning or if it's been done by a very small uh, sector of the, of the parish, maybe just the finance committee, how do you get more parishioners engaged in, the, in uh, taking ownership of the campaign case for support? I, I think it's what Yasmin said early on, that, you know, having a great case statement, you know, the needs are spelled out. And then I think also how your leaders, how committee members message that, you know, amongst others in, in the community and how the pastor messages that case statement, how engaged he is in the whole process and the committees. I think that's really important to getting others engaged, you know, in the, in the whole process. I would say, you know, communications too, I think, you know, as part of the fundraising plan, a communications plan kind of shakes out as part of that. So ensuring that, you know, bulletin updates are regular for the campaign once you're definitely in that public phase and working with the pastor to craft letters, perhaps home to parishioners to inform them and just keep them informed. I think ownership really does, you know, come out of just feeling educated about the plan and informed and um, you know, just stressing participation as well overall, I think, with the priests um, and making sure that they deliver that message. We really do want everyone to be a part of this is important. And I think part of gaining that ownership from all parishioners of all ages and 10 years at the parish, if you will. Sure. I, again, you know, I keep reverting back to the study as yeah. part of the education process. And we see people, parishioners today, ask some very poignant questions when they look at the goal, they want to know, are we going to borrow money? Is the diocese, what role do they play? Are they going to help us? How long is it going to take to build, you know, from start to finish? Will we have to do a second campaign? Uh, so, 
you know, from the study, we developed this Q&A, this question and answer sheet. And a lot of times it's about 25 questions that we've garnered and collected from the planning study. So we have those answers when we start talking to people during the campaign so that they are satisfied. And we try and get the leadership involved in that, answering the questions, not just the consultant. Uh, you know, it's not our campaign. It's not our parish. It's theirs. And the right. same thing with the, with the pastor to stand behind that case and say this is something good and important. We need to do it together. And I, I also think I keep coming back to that element of trust. Because I think if they, and Tom raised that issue of the Q&A, yes, we put together, we begin putting that Q&A together once we've done the feasibility study, planning study, a lot of questions come out of that. But I think it's really important for folks to feel that their questions have been answered. You know, you validated their concerns by answering their questions, and then that element of trust kind of just comes up from that because you've done that for them. And then I, I really do believe tying in the needs, you know, how important that is and making sure that they understand that the pastor has ownership of something as well. I think all these points are really crucial. I've also found that, uh, Tom, picking up on something that you said earlier, that, um, you know, understanding the, the rules or the policies of the diocese are so yeah. critical. I've seen uh, parish campaigns be put on hold because the parish didn't understand the process, the building process, the approval process, um, you know, the spending policy on, on capital campaigns. So um, that's, I, I think, important. And as you get ready for a campaign, um, nobody, a lot, a lot of pastors don't want to do this, but it's good to pick up the phone and call the diocese and find out, hey, what are our policies around conducting a major campaign, doing a major building project, right. spending policies, just so that you don't get caught off guard down the road, because we know that, you know, the diocese in most cases owns the property, owns the parish building, and they have to approve these things. And they have rules and policies to protect the parishes and to protect the pastors. And it's important for him to be familiar with those. Yeah, they, they keep lists of reputable companies, fundraising firms, architects, contractors that they've had good experiences with. So that, that's important. They do provide a lot you know, to the parishes uh, when they undertake something major like this, like mm -hmm. a campaign and a major building project. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, if I look back on, on those parish campaigns, I, I also, and Tom mentioned this earlier, I think what's so great is when you leave a parish after you've completed commitment weekend and you're pretty close to goal or you've exceeded goal, I think the icing on the cake isn't just the fact that you've reached goal or exceeded it. It's that you've left that parish community uh, closer to one another, that they're yes. feeling great about their accomplishments. There's a sense of, of family almost, that they've been able to do this together, something that they didn't feel they could do. And we've all heard that in interviews. Oh, we're never going to do this, that the goal's too high, and, and it, we're just never going to get there. And then to see them go through the months working with you and actually accomplishing what they set out to do, I mean, there's something that brings that community together and makes it a little bit more solid, I guess, is what mm -hmm. I'm going to say. Absolutely. Well, guys, this has been a fantastic conversation. Why don't we go around the horn? Does anybody have any, uh, let everybody talk for just a second, any closing thoughts or things that you want to mention on campaigns or feasibility studies in general? Well, um, you know, they, they are changing. The church is changing. Uh, it depends uh, what area of the country you're working in, certain areas where we're storing buildings, other places we're putting up schools and building churches. Uh, so it's, it's an ongoing thing, and I think something that's going to continue 
we just have to be, you know, prepared and understand, you know, what's going on with the clergy and their, their role and responsibility in something like this and getting those volunteers that will help us lead to way. The, I think those are two big challenges. Absolutely. Yasmin, how about you? I'm sure I would say if, you know, someone's listening and they're interested in a parish campaign or a feasibility study and they're on the fence, one last thought is that, yes, we are fundraisers. Yes, we're there to raise raise funds. But, again, we like to bring the communities together and to make an impact that is larger than just dollars raised. So I think keeping that in mind and the ways in which your parish can transform as a result of, you know, raising the needed funds that you need for faith formation, for evangelization, for, you know, as Thomas mentioned, for building projects as well, knowing that you can walk away with, you know, a sense of accomplishment as we've spoken about and transforming your community, I think, is something to highly consider as well. Excellent. And, you know, I just want to echo that and then just the the point of feeling confident and also messaging to our pastors and to those communities to feel confident in our expertise to feel confident that we're here with them to walk them through to help them build and, and move towards the goal of of whatever they need to accomplish and i would just close with saying that you know for for pastors as you're thinking about recruiting for your campaign leadership committee as you're thinking about making the ask of parishioners who you think might have the ability to be very generous um not to presume too much mm-hmm. that to be bold make right. the ask sometimes you think somebody's just too busy to be on that committee but maybe the greatest compliment you can pay them is to ask them to be a part of this campaign leadership committee and and even if they can't do it they'll they'll feel honored they'll feel touched that you thought of them So for the group, how has the parish offertory been affected by a parish capital campaign in your experience? In my experience, I've only seen them go up. You know, sometimes we might not see a big increase, but what I have found is that when some parishioners may or may not be able to contribute to the campaign, so they may increase their offertory instead. And in other cases, it just reminds people that uh, of the generosity needed for parish operations and for the mission. So I've only seen it uh, increase. But what what has been your experiences? I would say the same, Jim. I've seen it go up over time. Um, I think a successful capital campaign gets people thinking about contributing and giving and, and stewardship. Uh, you know, in some places it stays the same. Uh, for some parishes, after the capital campaign, the pledge redemption is completed. They'll enter into an offertory program. Mm-hmm. I, I think people kind of stay in the pattern of their regular contributions, and sometimes you have yep. to break them and, and remind them about their annual support, how, you know, it's the lifeblood of the parish. It helps with operations, pays utilities, insurance, assessments, things like that capital campaign, not just the offertory impacts other things in parish life too, volunteerism and, and, and other things that go along with uh, a church community. I agree. I, I think if I look back on the campaigns that they've actually increased in offertory that they've, and they've shared that with me. And I think that when we talk about communities, we were talking earlier about the cultural elements. I have found some communities that really didn't understand what stewardship meant. So if, if, if we look at that model that we that I like to stick by, the educate, engage, empower model. Um, Yes, in some parishes, you're really educating them on what stewardship really means. So if they're grasping it through the campaign and they're contributing to the campaign, it just makes sense. They're also going to be contributing a little bit more maybe to their offertory. So I have found definitely that that that, that is increased their offertory. 
Absolutely. I would say, too, you know, to address a concern that may be looming for the listener, you know, is my offertory going to go down? Because I am asking those who support this campaign at a level that is higher than what they would support, you know, ordinary offertory. And I think just knowing that as part of that ask, we do say that your gift will be above and beyond what you Mm -hmm. give to the parish. And so I've had, you know, parishioners say, well, I can't support because I don't want to affect the levels that I'm giving to the parish now. So I think knowing that that is a part of the process as well, and in many cases the offertory will go up or stay the same, I think is a great comfort to a lot of parish leaders. And I think that's crucial because we were talking about the feasibility study. That's one of the questions that we ask is, you know, would you support the campaign at a level above and beyond? So I think sticking to that and making sure that folks understand that when we are asking them to contribute to a campaign, that that's exactly what we mean. We don't want them to take from one to give to the other. How have you guys uh, woven in uh, the theology or the spirituality or language of stewardship? You know, we know that stewardship, uh, the spirituality piece is everything that we have as a gift from God. And as stewards, we're called to return a portion of that uh, to our parish, to our communities with increase. Um, how have you uh, seen parishes adapt that you know, theology uh, to a parish campaign? Kind of depends if it's a stewardship parish. Sure. Um, but oftentimes stewardship is a central theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about time, talent, and treasure, first fruits, and all that important stuff that goes with stewardship, implementing that, that uh, while they might be supporting a capital project, the first emphasis is that they're giving to God, supporting their parish. Uh, and it's, it's not just a building program or a program uh, to you know enhance ministries, things like that. Uh, so we remind them that this is essential and uh, part of being a member of the church or, or even Catholic. Mm-hmm. Coming back to the conversation around the word giving, you know, I've noticed that working in Dallas with the Vietnamese community or working in Los Angeles with the Latino community, so many parishioners see that word giving in so many different ways. Many of them see giving that we're giving to already a very rich entity. They see the Catholic Church as being wealthy, you know, and the Pope being wealthy and all this. So I think it really comes back to really educating them on what stewardship really means. How, do, What words do they use? What words do they understand when they hear the word stewardship? So I think going back to really educating them on what it means it means to be a good steward of faith is so crucial to any effort, any campaign uh, feasibility study effort to make sure that they're understanding what you want them to understand and what you know in the language that they feel comfortable speaking. And speaking of, of language, uh, Anna, you, you lead our efforts uh, with Latino communities. How does a Latino community campaign look a little different maybe than one of our others? I, I think it's really important. Like I was just saying, um, to make sure that they understand, number one, what stewardship really means, what, and then having that great need statement. But knowing ahead of time, that research that we do on a parish, okay, what does this parish use for the word stewardship? You know, uh, am I working with a Colombian parish that uses mayordomia? Uh, am I working with a Puerto Rican uh, parish that uses the word la administración? You know, in Los Angeles, la corresponsabilidad. So it's really knowing what words they're using so we can speak their language, you know, and then just uh, using, we you know, the company put together a document on the language of stewardship, and we have this in English, Spanish, and I believe Tagalog. So I think really making sure that a parish understands what we mean when we're talking about stewardship and giving.
I want to thank Tom, Anna, and Yasmin for being on our show this week. It was a great conversation, and I always enjoy being with these guys. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me at jim at advancingourchurch.com or leave us a comment on our website. I'll also put Tom, Anna, and Yasmin's contact information on the show notes if you'd like to contact one of them directly. Thanks again, everyone, for being on the show. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for being there to support our show. If you'd like more information about our podcast, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. So a great way to show love for our show is to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. We appreciate your ratings and your subscriptions to our podcast. Let me know if you like the new news segment on our show this week. I really appreciate your feedback. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Have a great week, everybody. Take care and God bless.